Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are down in Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Live from the Vegas Strip, welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. One thing you can say about Las Vegas, it has a fascinating history. And a lot of that has to do with the mob. When you think of organized crime in Vegas, you have to consider the skim. The skim was just another way to make money, and many mobsters across the country participated in it. Today, you'll learn the who, where, why, and how about the Las Vegas skim from authors Wayne Klingman and Roger Galizzi. Later in the show, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, will give you his take on how to find the best bargains in Vegas. Let's go to Vegas, baby. Let's go tonight. Let's go tonight. Let's go to Vegas. We'll stay up all night. Let's go to Vegas, baby. Let's Roger and Wayne have been working on this for a while, and boy, what a great book they have. And we're just going to talk about some of the fun things. And today, we'd like to just kind of introduce not only Wayne and Roger, but also kind of introduce the subject, because it's really more involved than what you might think. And yet... It's a fascinating topic. I've always, I always say it's one of those things where you kind of know about it, you've heard about it, but you, you don't really understand it. Well, these guys explained it. So first of all, let's introduce him. Uh, Wayne, you know him. He's been on uh, radio as Mr. Big. He's an expert on the Milwaukee Mafia. He's written a number of great books. Wayne, what made you decide to uh, do this whole story? And Is this kind of one of the favorite stories? Cause it kind of felt that way reading it. Well, I have to tell you, I regret in one form, in one way, and I'm really welcome to the fact that I didn't jump in this after I got done with Frank, my first book in the Mafia. Because Frank, as we all know, had a big role in the skim, a big role in Argent, right, which we'll get into in good due time. But Frank's story could not be told while doing the rest of the skim, and I can find no better person to help me do tell these stories than my co-writer. I mean, Roger is one of the best people I've ever had the honor of meeting in Norman Mount Vegas than most people on earth ever will know. I can say only good things about him. I'm looking forward one day perhaps even to try some of his dishes because he's a great cook, I understand. And Roger, you, like me, are a California native. Uh, you grew up in Southern California and in the Bay Area, just like I did. Now you live in the suburb of Las Vegas, and this is what your passions include, cooking, drinking, gambling, and wine. So what better place to live than Las Vegas? Was this a labor of love for you? It was um, a labor of love in the sense that um, I was really enthusiastic about it. I wouldn't call it a lot of labor, um, although I did uh, uh, the bibliography does have 90 books on the titles of it. Uh, There was a lot of research that went into it, and I was trying to balance a story, so to speak, uh, a narrative, um, and at the same time not make it too research-like. But it's something I've been interested in for a while. Wayne provided me the opportunity to... uh, to get into it and write it and present it. So that was fun. It was fun doing it. 
Well, I'm really excited about this, but before we get started with that, I gotta ask you, Roger, because I know I mentioned that you like cooking. Well, you actually wrote a book about it, Italian Wanderings, the Galazzi Family Cookbook. That sounds really good as a as a person who grew up in an Italian household as well. Is there a lot of veal in there? Because I love veal stuff. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of veal in there, as a matter of fact. So uh, the book right now is on Blurb, and it's going to be on um, it'll be on Amazon.com. Uh, relatively soon and uh volume two is coming out as well that has a lot of veal dishes in it um, uh, also <laughs> the first book cook, the first cookbook it, that truly was a labor of love i grew up with my grandmother and watched her cook and uh when we all reached about our 60s i started getting text messages from all of my cousins saying how did nana make this how did nana make that what did she do for this and um I finally decided, well, I might as well write a cookbook for, it was really for my family, but uh, a lot of other people have expressed interest in it as well. Now, we love to hear any of those great Italian families, and I bet your house had a great smell to it, right? The, the smell of sauce wandering through the house? Yeah, the smell of sauce and smell of cheese, Pecorino Romano cheese, yeah. Oh, you're speaking to me. Well, before we get too far off on food, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about the Las Vegas skim. Now, first of all, Wayne... For anybody that doesn't know about the skim, kind of want to just sum up what exactly is it, and does everybody do it, or did it, I should Good say. Good question. Does everybody do it? Uh, well, that's a whole debatable question. A lot of casinos did do it. Some we know about. Many more probably did that we don't know about. Basically, what the skim is, is you take some money. It's like one for the government, one for me. One for the government, two for me sort of thing, right? You take money before it's properly counted and before taxes are paid for it paid on it, as we all want to pay our taxes, right? We all want to do that, right? Some people, not so much, right? It was their way of getting around the taxation problem and making sure the people behind these casinos, some of these investors being the people of the mafia, right, got their money and then some on top of that, basically in a nutshell. You guys specifically center on the Las Vegas Strip, and I think that's important. We all assume everybody knows what it is, and we've seen it in movies and stuff, but... Roger, kind of explain, you know, you live there, you know. What is the Las Vegas Strip? How does it differ from, say, downtown or other areas around town or, or really anywhere else in America? Well, one of the unique aspects of the Strip is the Las Vegas Strip is not in Las Vegas. It's in incorporated Clark County, and there's a reason for that historically. So if you look at Russell Road on the south end and you look at Sahara on the north end as the Las Vegas Strip, where Sahara... Uh, is is where the city of Las Vegas actually starts. And most casino uh, builders and owners in the very, very early 30s and 40s did not want to build inside the city of Las Vegas because, A, they would have to pay municipal taxes, and, B, at that time, uh, the city of Las Vegas also was a granting authority for licenses, and some people couldn't get licenses because they already had felonies on their uh, conviction records from other states. So, what, so did you have to the, just deal with the state then? How did, how did that work for getting those well, gambling licenses? In the very, very beginning, um, the structure of uh, approving gaming licenses was very loose or different uh, or not as mature as it is now with the uh, gambling board, the gaming board, and the gaming commission. and. So in the beginning, licenses were a little bit easier to come by. And also in the beginning, as we bring out in the book, Las Vegas and the state of Nevada were a little bit defensive 
about a reputation about criminal elements being in uh, uh, Las Vegas. And so we did concentrate on the Strip because those are primarily casinos that people would recognize the names of them and the history of them. The other part of this, of course, which everybody knows, and this is the part that people start getting excited about, are the families, the names. And, and boy, you pick up the book, and the, one of the first things, you got this great chart, and you hear these family names that really anybody that's watched a Godfather movie or any of those things or is just interested in knows. I mean, this is a part of it. And it seems to me like they all were a part of it. Is that true, guys? I would say yes. Most of them were, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a couple of families that at one time or another were sort of on the outskirts and never really got involved in uh, the skim. But at some time or another, the skim touched just about every major uh, crime family across the United States. There are a couple exceptions to the rule. One of them notably is uh, the Los Angeles uh, crime family was never involved in the skim. Back with more in just a moment from Wayne Klingman and Roger Galisi, authors of Like an Onion, The Vegas Skim. Remember, you can get a copy of Like an Onion at Amazon.com, and the boys will check on that. When you visit Las Vegas, you're always looking for fun things to do, and I think one thing you got to put on your list is the Neon Museum. It's fantastic. What a way to learn the history of Las Vegas, but by the signs that go back all the way to the 1930s. It's a lot of fun. The staff there is incredible. Really unique Las Vegas experience, so you can learn the history and have a blast. Go to neonmuseum.org. That's neonmuseum.org. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. Have you written a book? You can become a published author with Dorrance Publishing, the nation's oldest publishing services company. Countless authors have trusted Dorrance for nearly a hundred years to bring their book to the market. Our professional team will edit your text, design your book pages, and create an appealing, eye-catching custom cover. Plus, our authors benefit from a custom book promotion marketing campaign that makes your book available where people buy books, like Amazon and brick-and-mortar bookstores. So make this free call right now to claim your free author's guide to publishing. Don't wait another day. Take one step closer to realizing your dream of becoming a published author and seeing your name in print. You've already written a book, so the next thing to do is make this free call right now to Dorn's Publishing and get your free guide to publishing. Call right now. Call 800-923-8625. That's 800-923-8625. 800-923-8625. Boy, man, I had a rough night's sleep. Boy, I got a letter from the IRS yesterday and I I just couldn't sleep. Man, I'm dying here. Somebody help me. IRS problems affect more than just your finances. If you're ready to take back control of your life and you owe more than $10,000, you need to call the tax doctor. Their expert staff can immediately protect you from the IRS and state collectors and get you the best possible tax settlement guaranteed. The IRS has recently released new programs geared in helping struggling taxpayers, where you may qualify to settle your tax debt and wipe out up to 85% or more of what you currently owe. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call the tax doctor right now. See if you qualify to pay less. Call 800-511-6983. That's 800-511-6983. Again, 800-511-6983. That's 800-511-6983.
Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Wayne Klingman and Roger Galizzi, author of Like an Onion, The Vegas Skim. Yeah, that was a part that was interesting, and the book kind of talks about it. How did they miss that? <laughs> you know, the one one uh, group that decided to stay out of it. Well, you know, it's kind of an interesting story in, in my mind because I think it's actually worth a whole other book. Not a lot has been written about the at that time the Dragna crime family. They had some interest in illegal gambling offshore uh, during the the time in which they were gambling boats off the coast of Santa Monica, but uh, in the early years. You had to have money to invest in a casino uh, to, in other words, get part of the skim back. And so if you didn't have a lot of money to invest in the casino, you just didn't get into the skim at the time. This is before, of course, you could go to the Teamsters to get uh, right. loans to get into casino business. But uh, at the time, you had to put in the mob, had to put in their own money um, that they cobbled together from a variety of families and a variety of gamers from uh, when gambling was illegal who still had profits or people who had profits left over from prohibition. Well, you know, Wayne, you talk a lot about that. We, we've gone over that a couple of times in some of your books. I mean, it's, it's whether it's unions, whether it's various religious groups and so forth. There's all sorts of places. Huh? That money is being floated around. It's, it's really fascinating the way that works. Well, absolutely. I mean, one thing you have to give it to the mafia is they know... Yeah, it's nice to get that money from whatever our source. It's nice to also have that money coming from legitimate means. So the only way they can take that money and invest it in something that will pay them back, they're going to do it. Absolutely going to do it. And I think that, as Roger so well stated, it's the history of the mafia in Los Angeles is very interesting because, yes, they had a big deal to do with offshore gambling conceals, but also bits of an ass in major ways. I don't think they were able to recover from those situations that they found themselves involved in in California when they declined the gambling bills. Well, that's one of the things about gambling, too. You, you don't go in there and just kind of play it by luck, just in the same way that you don't win big money uh, bringing a quarter to Las Vegas, right? I mean, you got to bring some money to it, and, and ultimately it was the mishandling of money that got some of the people like uh, Bugsy Siegel and so forth in trouble. One of the points uh, that, are, that the book tries to make originally in the prologue is that um, casinos make money without skimming. Um, there's a natural edge to the house, and everybody knows that. That's why these large corporations operate casinos now, because they realize how profitable they are. These palaces you see, the Venetian, Caesars, and Wynn, um, those aren't built by donations. They're built by casino profits that are pr- put back into the buildings and the construction. But when you're faced, even if you're a, an executive, when you're faced with stacks and stacks and stacks of $100 bills, something else besides corporate accounting clicks in, and that's human nature, and that's called greed. It's sort of like tipping, isn't it? I mean, in the sense that people that get, people that get tips sit there and go, well, okay, I'm going to put down that I got maybe uh, 20 bucks when really I was tipped 60 bucks or whatever. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, we do start out in the book talking about the fact that skimming isn't just a Las Vegas phenomenon. Skimming happens all over the world many times in even the average, uh, average small business owner. Anytime you deal in cash, there's yeah. a chance that there's skimming going on. And it could be anything from um, not reporting all your tips or when you um, are sharing tips uh, with a, a shift of workers and you don't put uh, – 
everything that you cleared off the table into the jar. Uh, that's a form of skimming. And if you've ever seen anybody make change on top of the cash register instead of in the cash register, they're probably skimming. And um, a lot of people have said over the years that many of the high rollers that come to Las Vegas probably deal in cash businesses themselves. Really? So those whales actually know a little bit about it to begin with? You know, when these big guys come to Vegas with money in their pockets, they're not kids. They know what's going on. And they're in an environment, let's call it Sin City, which I think is a very good name for, for Vegas. You know, they know what's going on. They're not going to complain too much as long as they get treated well. Why would they bother? Why would they, why would they care? It, it, it's just really embezzlement 101, right? I mean, it's the very beginning of just how to embezzle money. I mean, there's other ways to do it, too, but this is like the easy way. Yeah, by far. Before we move on, let's talk about one other thing. People see this, and I know, Roger, you have the same last kind of last name that I do, ends in a vowel. And, you know, for a long time, people thought the only people in the mafia were Italians. But as your book points out, yeah, there were some Italians, but there was all sorts of very ethnicities, huh? Yes, and uh, matter of fact, uh, in particular with Las Vegas and the skim, there was a large number of uh, Jewish organized uh, crime members, and uh, obviously Bugsy Siegel being one, um, and the, the list just goes on and on, Meyer Lansky. Uh, but yes, a lot, of, uh, a lot of the people that came into the skim were not, in fact, um, Italians. So I think that's important to realize that uh, although not made men, uh, these Jewish gangsters, uh, Jewish mobsters were associates of the crime families. And so kind of interesting history. But, yes, there's a lot of people who are not Italian involved. Yes. You know, I wanted to ask you, too. I remember from Goodfellas, that was one of the deals that you had to be Italian to be a made man. And so when you get people like Siegel or Lansky and some of these folks was the idea to just reach a high enough point where you could really make a lot of money? You weren't trying to take over the family, but just to get a high enough place where you could get uh, some real power? Yes, and I think it's also important to realize that there are some mob families, quote-unquote mob families, that were not Italian. Um, Meyer Lansky um, at several times um, referred to his collection or associates as a family as well. That's really interesting. Well, you know, uh, Wayne, we've talked a lot about Meyer Lansky, and I got a quote from the book that said, this is uh, attributed to Lansky, the only man who wins in the casino is the guy who owns the place. And so that was kind of the idea of these guys, too. I mean, right, they knew they could make money on this type of thing, and that's why, like you say, like, people like Frank Ballesteri, who you wrote about and so forth, and people in other parts of the country were interested in getting their hands in here because they knew they were the folks that were going to make the money. Oh, I thought, I thought, I mean, all the kinds of money, too. You got the gambling, you got prostitution. That was also a big moneymaker. I mean, again, going back to the idea, that I love the idea, mind you, of Vegas being Sin City. You got there, you could do what you wanted to do. As long as you weren't too much for trouble, you can do what you wanted to do. And why not charge them the money necessary uh, the big guy come from Chicago, how that weekend, and make him have everything he possibly could want. Good food, good gambling, good games, good girls. Make that money. More with Wayne Klingman and Roger Galizzi, authors of Like an Onion, The Vegas Skim, in just a moment. Make sure to get your copy of Like an Onion for Christmas at Amazon.com. And make sure to join us next week when your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, will preview Vegas 2023. Scott will be with us for the entire hour with his look 
on the future of Las Vegas. Have your collectibles taken over your house? Well, maybe it's time for those treasures to find a new home. Place to go is baseball cards and bobbleheads, where they are always buying. No collections are too large or too small. Call baseball cards and bobbleheads at 310-534-4180 or text them pictures of your collection. That number again is 310-534-4180. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Hey, I'm Paul Shortino, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Rock on. Let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and I'm chatting with Wayne Klingman and Roger Galizzi, author of Like an Onion, The Vegas Skim. And, and it's kind of changed a little in the sense that as they now run these as legit businesses across the board, big corporations, it's still about making money. But it, it seems like they're trying to get into other things like sports and stuff. Yep, in those days, all the things you were talking about, whether it's entertainment that was there or uh, the prostitution, whatever, it was all to keep these guys happy so they kept gambling, right? And, of course, the prostitution they made money on as well. But Absolutely. They want you to stay in that casino. You still see it today, and if you ever fly into Las Vegas on a Friday night, you see a certain type of visitor for the weekend. You also know that uh, casinos give out drinks generously. There's a reason for that. Um, they're just trying to increase their uh, profit centers any way that they can. Now that it's more of a, a diversified profit-making organization, they make money off of everything, whether it's uh, the gift shop, uh, spas, entertainment, restaurants, all of that. Uh, so gaming is now just one part of it, whereas uh, 40 or 50 years ago, it was a much, much, much smaller part of it. Matter of fact, most of the things that they now expect to make a profit on used to be loss leaders, like inexpensive buffets or comp meals or 99-cent or even 59-cent shrimp cocktails and all that kind of stuff. It had a different feel back then. I mean, you live there now, Roger, like you're saying, and you can go in and they take care of people. There's no question about it. But in those days, people would remember your names. I mean, and like you say, if you were gambling, everything else was pretty much taken care of. I mean, you, you could eat for free or, or for very little. You know, you could go see shows and they were handing out free things. And I guess that's why some people kind of miss those days. I have a conversation recently with an actual member of the Teamsters. He's a, um, one of the business officials for the Teamsters. And he is recalling to me the days when if you just walked into a certain casino, uh, and there were many of them, and you just showed your Teamsters card, you got a free room. Yeah, that was a, that was something. And, you know, Wayne, you, you get that same feeling, too. I know you live in the Midwest, and yet, like everyone else, you know that Las Vegas has a certain appeal. It's got a different culture. Definitely. If I had my tethers, Las Vegas would be the place to go for a period of time and let little, and let, let little hair I have out, right? Go there and have that fun. Go there and be Mr. Big, I think, would be my life, in, in fact. You know, I, 
I'm thinking all the fun you could have there, legal fun, right? Gambling, you know, flirt with the girls, stuff like that, have the good food. Enjoy yourself. That is what I think of Las Vegas. That's what I think of, a place to go and have fun and not be you for that period of time that you're there. Well, they call it the adult Disneyland, and i got to say, much like Disneyland, the Disney Corporation, they're interested in making a lot of money, and they did. And you guys, right, you, you say that the skim was probably the largest planned, orchestrated, protected theft of untaxed and unaccounted for cash. I mean, I love that. Do you have any idea, and you can both throw in uh, what you think, I mean, do you have any idea how much money we're talking about and how deep this went? I looked at this from a variety of different ways, trying to figure out if I could come up with a dollar figure. And at one time in the manuscript, I had it highlighted in yellow, figure out a figure. Um, but it was just impossible to do, just impossible to do. There were, there are some examples of what estimates have been for certain periods of time when the government could figure out when a skim started and when a skim stopped. Um, but over the life of Las Vegas, virtually impossible to do these guys were so good at, at hiding some of this stuff and everybody was doing it i mean there's just no way to get a handle on it i guess from a law enforcement point of view they really want to get a handle on it i mean i think we get to the chapters where we talk about howard heels i think something we should be looking into is was howard heels even saying at the time was he operating as howard heels multi-millionaire billionaire at that time was he a front operation by the CIA? That's a very interesting question, which, of course, I think we'll bring up in that conversation. If that's the case. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. You've got this thing going on. It went on for decades. And you write in the book, it's kind of mind-boggling because you're seeing all these other cities that have got a piece of the action here and so forth. Was this something that if you were in the underworld, you wanted to find a way to get a piece of this action? Because it seems like, you know how they talk about pieces of pie, but this pie seems almost unlimited. You can keep, Everybody can get a piece of it. As long as you could build a casino and, um, and make it um, a successful casino. Remember that you had to have a successful casino to have a skim because you had to have a profit there. And of course, some casinos were not successful because the skim was too large. But remember, during Prohibition and after Prohibition, these mobsters were running illegal casinos all over the United States. And that money was also being skimmed, by, and by skimming we mean not reported to the IRS. So when the opportunity arose to say, like, I can go to Las Vegas after 1931 and do everything I was doing in Cleveland, Detroit, Miami, New York, Chicago, Kansas City, all those places where I was running illegal operations, I can actually go to Las Vegas and do it, and it's legit. So how important is it, guys, to have that really competent manager? I'm not talking about the criminal or the guy whacking somebody. I'm talking about somebody that actually runs the place, the organization guy in there. I would imagine it was really important and how much did they know about it? I mean, did they did they let them get in the middle of it, or was it something they kind of hid? Well, we have examples of some people, our managers, that knew exactly what was going on. We didn't show up one of those guys that long, that long ago, sir. The guy from Arizona went yeah. to Vegas, ran a couple of casinos for a while, then decided to skim his own little business or share, he got killed for his troubles. Yeah, some of them knew. Some of them didn't know. I think most of them knew. I agree. I think most of them uh I think most of them knew there were some people who were hired specifically to run a casino because they were good at the skim. 
Um, and they were good at it from two perspectives. They were good at seeing how the money got out of the casino, but they were also good at seeing that the employees didn't cheat on the skim themselves. And so some people were hired for that specific skill, uh, and others were hired for other reasons. I think later there has been an argument at some point that some people thought they didn't know about the skim um, towards in the 70s. There was a couple arguments that... Some people didn't know about the skim, but I think, in general, uh, most people knew. When we return, more with Wayne Klingman and Roger Galizzi, author of Like an Onion, The Vegas Skim. Can't think about what to get that special friend for Christmas? Well, how about your own copy of Like an Onion? It's available on Amazon.com, and it's on every wise guy's list. Have you been portnoy yet? Well, you should be. What does that actually mean, Neil Portnoy? You send me a photograph. And I do a realistic cartoon caricature. Realistic looks just like you. And then I cartoon the body. And you then become part of the Portnoy Wall of Honor here at Portnoy Gallery, which now, since its inception in 2017, has got over 60 members on the wall. It's the new Sardis of Las Vegas. How do we get information we want to get Portnoy? Uh, you can call the gallery at 702-685-2929 or on social media, Facebook, Portnoy Gallery, artist Neil Portnoy, Neil Portnoy, idroppeople.com, and probably about six other places that at my age memory is the second thing that goes. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. <laughs> Are you being audited and do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The tax doctor is here to help you negotiate a lower tax bill. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts, but you can stop these IRS actions. The tax doctor will fight for you using industry secrets that can stop any IRS actions, eliminate penalties and interest, and reduce your past tax bill so you pay the IRS less. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call the tax doctor now for a free IRS audit emergency review. Call 800-515-4956. That's 800-515-4956. Again, 800-515-4956. That's 800-515-4956. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. By wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers right away. If you're testing your blood sugar four or more times per day, injecting insulin three or more times per day, or using an insulin pump, call the Diabetic Health Hotline today and learn about the latest CGM technology. A CGM can immediately reduce pain. It's accurate, easy to use, and helps you make better diabetes treatment decisions. And if you have Medicare, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Plus, get free shipping and we'll bill your insurance company for you. Call now to receive your new continuous glucose monitor at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Paid for by U.S. Medical Supply. Call 800-273-2295. That's 800-273-2295. Again, 800-273-2295. That's 
You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps. We are chatting with Wayne Klingman and Roger Galizzi, author of Like an Onion, The Vegas Skim. So Nevada was, uh, for a long time, kind of cool about all this stuff, right? I mean, uh... I get. When did they start getting like, hey, we can't do this anymore? Was that kind of uh, the post-Kennedy days with all that stuff, or did it come even later than that? Or was it like the Howard Hughes times? Um, Howard Hughes and later than that. So what happened is people started, the FBI in particular, uh, and some other federal organizations started understanding exactly the power of the RICO statutes um, and the organized crime laws that were put into place. And so they understood what they could do for tapping what was probable cause to go ask a judge for permission to go tap. And uh, that's why um, the movie Casino, um, which a large part of it has to do with the skim, um, is so well documented is because by that time, all of the wiretapping was legal. And so all of those transcripts are now available for people to uh, to read. And um, that the, what was bugged was just incredibly um, amazing what people said on the phone and in restaurants and uh, in private clubs and things like that. But uh, that's why um, the later skims in the uh, 70s, um, uh, especially in the 70s, um, were so well documented. And that was kind of the genesis for the movie Casino. A great movie and a great book. You got to read if you like that movie or any of the Goodfellas or anything. You have to get a hold of this book. I'm telling you, it's the same name as the podcast. It's like an onion, the Las Vegas skim. You can go to Amazon. They have a nice little write up on there. I tell you what, it's really worth your time, and it's going to be a lot more than the write up. It, the detail that you guys got into is just fascinating to me. Wayne, you also have a role playing game that you want to talk about too, and I want to share that with the audience. So, what have you gotten? Sure. How do we find uh, out about it? Um, my role playing game is in Gumroad. Um, you search for the name of it, which is Sin City of the Dead, and the game you help our good friend Frank Bell defend his casino against a zombie horde, which is decided in Las Vegas. It's a campy game you meant to be played at your desk, at your table tap after supper, over a couple of beers with your friends, with a couple field to six-sided dice, some pens and pencils, and a nice imagination. It's a fun game. It's only five bucks. It's not, it's not pretty. It's not very expensive. I think a good investment. Have a good time with your friends. I absolutely love that. You know that would be a cool game for people. Uh, you know, if you, Dungeons and Dragons, you're kind of a nerd. But if you play this, that's really pretty pretty cool. Uh, so one more time, Wayne, where can we get it? If you go to gumroad.com, and you go to the search bar, and you search, you search for the title of the game, which is Sin City of the Dead, and you'll find the game. It's right there. Or you look for the poster. The poster should be obviously visible when you search for the name of the game. And the poster should come up as well. And you cannot mistake the poster for the game. Not a doubt. You will know it when you see it 100%. And Roger, these days, besides writing this book, what are you involved with? I know you you know, you know, like doing all this stuff. That second cookbook going to come out pretty soon? second cookbook will be out by uh, Christmas this year during the holidays. And uh, actually, a third cookbook will be coming out at that time, too. So uh, one is um, on the Italian side of my family, and the other cookbook is on the American side of my family. So um, uh, that's going to keep me busy from now until then. We'll probably have a second edition of this book out in the spring. Um, with a couple of uh, more in-depth chapters on a few people uh, involved in the skim, and uh, that's keeping me busy uh, for now. 
Thanks, guys. And remember, you can get a copy of Like an Onion at Amazon.com. Take it from all the boys out there. You buy it or you're going to be put on the naughty list. That's a list you don't want to be on. Time now for another visit with your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. Today, Scott and I are going to discuss the one thing that most visitors are looking for when they come to Vegas. This doesn't necessarily apply to whales. The response to the Vegas Insider segment has been really positive. And the one thing people have been wanting me to ask you is, okay, he knows all this inside info and so forth, and this is all great. I'm going out there. What are some great bargains out there that I really should do because it's such a great deal and a wonderful thing, and he's going to know where they're at. So I'm going to ask you, where are they at? Well, in my world, bargain is free. So in Vegas, luckily, there are so many great free things to do. That's the ultimate bargain is... Uh, I always advise going to drink first, to gamble second, and then because you have no more money, you go go do the free stuff. So uh, I was just at the Bellagio Conservatory. It changes with every season. It's always so beautiful. No matter how many times you've seen it, it, it's well worth seeing while you're at the Bellagio. You can also see the fountains. Unbelievably beautiful. There's also the world's largest chocolate fountain right near the conservatory. Also free to go see. I'm a big fan of free. So you got to get your photo op with the Las Vegas sign, also free. There's a, there's a million things to see and do. Here's one if you really want to go into the bowels of downtown Las Vegas, and I uh, often do, as uncomfortable as that sounds, there is a sculpture called the Big Rig Jig. It is essentially two tractor trailers piled on top of each other. It's a piece of art. It, or I think it made its debut at Burning Man. And it's down Fremont Street. If you travel east, you really can't miss it. It's like a six-story structure. Again, free. Another great photo op. So I'm all about kind of finding those weird, funny, distinctive things that you can't do anywhere else. Money is not... It's no object, but why not do all the free things that Vegas has to offer? Uh, there, are, there, are, there are a lot of bargains. Uh, at Evil Pizza, you were talking about you can do a slice of pizza and a beer for five bucks. It, that is a great, great deal. You can, uh, uh, there, there's just an endless supply of those, too. Even on the Strip, you can find bargains. You just have to kind of look. Uh, one, of the, one of the best deals that I think you can find is buying the exact same thing for less. So if you go into one of these resorts, if you're out on the street, you'll see a, a whatever it is, a bottle of beer, a can of beer for $12. If you walk inside to the casino bar, you can get that same bottle of beer for $8. If you walk to the gift shop, you'll find it for four fifty. So to me, that extra few steps, that's the bargain I'm looking for, is just search, look online, visit blogs, listen to podcasts, listen to your podcast. That's what I always do to find out what's going on. But that's how I find bargains. Just kind of roam around, ask questions. And the people that'll tell you about the best deals work at the casinos and the restaurants and the cab drivers and the concierge folks. They quite often have no vested interest in telling you what the bargains are. They just want to be, they're the cool guy. It's like me. That's why that's why I do these interviews is kind of you want to be the guy who knows stuff. And so if you ask them and you don't, uh, if you treat them like real human beings, they will tell you what the bargains are. They will tell you how to get the best show tickets. Oh, you want to know the best bargain for a show? Free. So you walk in, you, you have a show you want to see, could be hundreds of dollars in ticket value. You walk into the lobby and you stand there. 
have be flexible. You don't have to go to that show. You stand in the lobby and you just keep your eyes open because more than likely there's somebody in that auditorium, that theater, who has a set of four tickets. They're a VIP player. They got them comped. They're going to feel guilty if there's an empty seat at this great Las Vegas show. Stand in that lobby and be open to someone giving you a ticket. I did it for Michael Jackson 1. I walked in and I just scanned every person that came out of that door. I didn't ask for anything. I didn't beg. I didn't have a sign that said, we'll work for a show ticket. I just stood there. I was uh, friendly and open to them donating that ticket to me. And I will guarantee you that it happens every night because those folks, they might be wealthy, but they feel guilty if there's an empty seat in their group and they're going to walk out and go, I wish I could find someone to give this ticket to. And they will do it. That's a bargain right there. Free is the best bargain ever. Thanks, Scott. Make sure to visit Scott every day at VitalVegas.com for the latest and all the happenings in Las Vegas. And next week, you're going to hear Scott preview Vegas 2023 in a full-length discussion with your Vegas insider. And remember also, get your copy of Like an Onion, or you can find it on Amazon.com. Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, which includes Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi reminding you, Vegas never sleeps. Las Vegas, here we go! Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? low-cost airlines with one call to low-cost airlines you'll drastically slash your travel costs we're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations where would you like to go london rome costa rica australia wow that's cheap so why wait call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the u.s or international our prices are so low we can't publish them the only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airlines travel it's that easy so call now and start packing call right now 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 that's 800-267-1806